Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. So when it comes to the concept of social proof, which psychologists like uh, Robert Cialdini have said is one of the biggest things, the fact that people will recognize something as legitimate or illegitimate based on the number of people they see who identify with whatever it is, and how they value each of those people is much more important than any of the ideas themselves. People could read Man, Economy, and State, but what looks a lot better is a successful person who's happy, optimistic, and appears smart and successful, them wearing a shirt that says non-aggression principle or libertarianism, <laughs> or just has a picture of some beautiful Orthodox cathedral or uh, Catholic cathedral and says, yeah, uh, this is uh, I believe in God and thou shall not murder and thou shall not steal. So that's why I'm a libertarian. That will do far more than talking to people about economics, which usually just gets people's shields up and uh, ready to uh, say, oh, gosh, I really got to come back on Facebook with uh, something impressive. So my ego isn't threatened. What is up, everybody? My name is Kyle Matovic. I am the host of the In Liberty and Health podcast, where we talk all things liberty, health and wellness, and beyond. My hope is to encourage and spread the message of liberty, physical and mental well-being. I hope you enjoy all the topics we talk about with our guests. We're on all major streaming platforms, so please sit back, relax, and enjoy. Man, I'm doing as good as anyone can do getting buried by his 13-year-old son on leg day. <laughs> I'm not going to apologize for not being on this podcast because I got to go see Metallica. So if that's a problem, kiss my ass. Okay? I am. <laughs> All right. All right, everybody. This is In Liberty and Health, episode number 181. And today I have a fellow from the Libertarian Institute, actually a managing editor, if I remember correctly, from the Libertarian Institute, Mr. Keith Knight. How you doing today, dude? Very well, Kyle. Thank you for having me on, brother. Yeah, of course. Well, we were in a uh, mutual little group chat with uh, a couple of the other guys from antiwar.com in the Libertarian Institute, so I figured it was only fitting that um, I pretty much had the whole rung of them on. I'd figure I might as well have you on as well. Plus, you've uh, made the uh, rounds on all the big Libertarian podcasts, and I've enjoyed you on every single one of those. So um, I guess let's start with uh, first things first, just in case my listeners don't know. Um, who is Keith Knight, and what have you uh, done for the movement? The way I asked that sound really condescending, but uh, you know, <laughs> you get where I'm going. <laughs> you know, I'm not sure what I've done, but I can tell you what I've produced, and it was this thing called the Voluntarist Handbook, uh, an excerpt, uh, 50 excerpts rather, of all the things that I read that took me from being a progressive to a conservative to being a voluntarist. That is the main thing, just because it took probably 10 years of reading thousands of things before I really got it down to 50 that I thought, look, we can always tell people you should watch all these videos and check out all these speeches and all these books and all these articles. But if I just had to pick one to give to people, to give them the ultimate introduction to the way we see the world, 
I thought this uh, that this would be it. I really love Malice's Anarchist Handbook, but I thought he went too soft on anarcho-communists who do not recognize people's right to contract, which I think is essential to life, not only, but also uh, the principles of anarchism. So that is the main thing I've contributed. I also have a show called the, uh, Don't Tread on Anyone. I'm at, I think, 862 episodes Holy as God. of today. You can find all those and more at libertarianinstitute.org. Beautiful. Yeah, um, I was just on the uh, website looking, and it was kind of funny. I, I think they moved Tommy Sammons, either that or changed his title. And I, I talk to Tommy almost every single day. He's just one of like the best. Actually, all you guys over there at the Institute are just absolutely awesome people, and I really admire all yins. Um, So you were a progressive first. Um, What kind of was that like for you? Because I started off kind of like conservative ish. I just didn't like a lot of the leftist stuff that my brother was listening to. And then he introduced me to like Austin Peterson, Stefan Molyneux, Larry Sharp, some of them. And um, that was kind of like my introduction to libertarianism. So um, I guess let's kind of detail out your journey and how you started from progressivism, which a lot of people would tell you is like, there's no way you can convert a, pro a progressive over to um, libertarianism to uh, where you are now. Well, because it was so easy. It's like there's all <laughs> these things that I want to give people. I'm just such a great person. I want to give them food, housing, uh, housing, clothing, education. I mean, the, the more stuff that I want to give people, the more obligations I want to put on total strangers, the better person I am. <laughs> yeah. But I didn't see it like that. I just said there's all this stuff that you can just give people. So for you to be against that, you've got to be like uh, so e either actively conspiring or just so stupid. So the fact that like half of Americans disagreed with this, I just couldn't believe the kind of like Klansmen Koch brothers world that I was living in. You give people stuff for free and then they have it. It didn't occur to me that there are no such thing as solutions and no such thing as free once I was introduced to the concept of opportunity cost. So for every second one person spends building something, well, that's one second they're not doing something else with their time. So they often like to be compensated. So while people do engage in volunteer work, they often want uh, to reap benefits as a result of spending their scarce time doing something. So even if the entire state monopolizes something, it's not necessarily free. It would be as ridiculous as saying, you know, the military is free because government pays for it. Right. So we should just do that with healthcare. Or you could say... Um, the government monopolizes the court system. Therefore, we have universal justice. Mm -hmm. Just because the government monopolizes something doesn't mean everyone gets it. We have universal education, K through 12. Mm -hmm. Does that mean everyone is educated? Bernie Sanders won in, uh, has won multiple elections. The, the, <laughs> that, that alone should tell us that just because the state monopolizes something, mm -hmm. one, it cannot be free by definition, even in a world without money resource allocation and opportunity cost. And two, just because they provide it doesn't mean it's universal. Mm -hmm. So this was one of the first things that took down progressivism for me. Be, uh, just recognizing this fact of reality every time you uh, do one thing, you are taking away scarce time from doing other things. Right there, you get introduced to the economic way of thinking. So you can look at the costs and benefits of things like Barack Obama's Affordable Care Act. But while I was watching the Glenn Beck show, out of curiosity, because I couldn't believe how people could hate a guy who just is being who just goes around being nice to everyone, it uh, occurred to me that there's something called the individual mandate, which is where people are required by law to purchase something. Now, 
I think you probably should have uh, health insurance, even if you're in the UK where the state monopolizes it. There's still tons of private alternatives just as a safety net. But I was questioning whether or not someone should be forced, as in get put in jail, and if you resist the police, they get to shoot you. I said, well, if any other organization did that, if the Catholic Church went around helping us by forcing us to chip into the Catholic Church, okay, that seems a little self-serving. So I'm not going to support the Affordable Care Act for that reason. Just let people opt in and out. It took me probably 10 years to take that simple principle and apply it consistently to things like private security. Um, I think security is a great thing. I wouldn't want everyone being their own security guard, just as I wouldn't want everyone making their own printers, growing their own food. You certainly want security organizations to protect your rights. So the question is not, should we have security or not? The question is, should this thing be coercively funded and provided by a monopoly, or should it be voluntarily funded and face competition? Once I started seeing things through that lens, progressivism was just over. Yeah. Yeah. Um, th that's kind of the way that I think a lot of people um, kind of come to libertarianism as well as kind of looking at the economic factors and like the, uh, the idea of like, if we could do this voluntarily and the efficiency of the free market, then you're typically going to get a much, much better product. And that, um, you know, when you kind of see the causality of government putting its heavy hand on the scales, typically we see that um, that typically ends up in um, situations that aren't necessarily favorable to the to the thing that they were trying to fix. I know I kind of jumbled that up there, but um, that was part of the thing that I think got me into libertarianism as well as kind of like the solutions aspect of it, where um, it, it seems very practical and it's very very intuitive, and that's you know kind of the same deal when it comes to Austrian economics, which these two things are separate. But Austrian economics, for me at least, kind of um, seemed the most intuitive out of all economic philosophies because you have time preference and then. You also have the interest rates and understanding how that affects people's behaviors, and that just seemed to be lacking a lot of other people's um, economic philosophies. So I'm I'm going to assume that you subscribe to Austrian economics as well, obviously. Yes, certainly. Just because <laughs> Austrian economics starts with the concept that humans act, and when they act, they choose one thing over another and display preferences that they have. Display preferences, very different than saying, mm -hmm. I prefer to do this, this, and that. So you can ask people all the time, well, I want to help the poor. I want to do all this stuff. Anytime you voluntarily watch Netflix or YouTube instead of helping the poor, that's you being a selfish value seeker. And there's actually nothing wrong with that. In the long run, you actually produce more wealth when you seek to benefit yourself and exchange with others on a voluntary basis. So because the Austrian school starts with something so basic that you understand that Robinson Crusoe on the island all by himself faces scarcity with regard to his time. And for all the, uh, you know, for every time he chops down a tree to try and build his house, he's not building a boat to get back to land. To get back to land, he's taking a great deal of risk, which he has to compensate for with an amount of research done beforehand. This is much more uh, akin to a genuine understanding of the economic way of life and thinking rather than starting with economics is when the GDP grows or shrinks and the unemployment rate. That is so far removed from a genuine understanding of what it means to actually economize and exchange value for value. That is the primary reason, along with the business cycle and uh, everything else. I mean, the fact that so many 
uh, competing schools. We'll talk about business cycles without mentioning the concept of the Federal Reserve having a monopoly on the currency because uh, everywhere else they're telling us the free market's bad because it could produce monopolies and monopolies will yield uh, higher prices and lower quality than you would otherwise have. And then they say, well, the state should also monopolize compulsory education. And then the Federal Reserve needs to monopolize the money supply. Mm -hmm. The same exact principles apply. So the fact that mainstream schools of thought uh, are able to have an opinion on the business cycle without addressing money, which is almost half of every transaction. There's barter and there's gifts and whatnot. Well, I guess even gifts are money in uh, in most cases. So that is another reason why I thought the Austrian school was just so brilliant. I go, how is it that no one's ever mentioned the Federal Reserve uh, c controlling interest rates, uh, monopolizing the currency and uh, and all this other stuff? So that is why I uh, think the Austrian school is so valuable. Yeah. Do you ever talk to uh, normies and just realize how far removed they are from understanding economics? I was having a conversation with one of my uh, coworkers today at lunch, and he mentioned, oh, well, you know, Kamala Harris is bragging about their record interest rates that we have. And it, it, when I hear people complain about the interest rates, it always kind of surprises me because they don't factor in the Federal Reserve artificially suppressing interest rates for 20 years. And then, you know, as you and I would understand it, in a free market, that would never happen. You would not have 0% interest rates for any extended period of time, if ever, because you're going to encourage people to be very, very um, you know, stupid with their money because it doesn't cost them a lot to pay that debt back. So now you know, people are under this impression that just because interest rates are rising now that this is the fault of the Biden administration, and it is to a degree, but they're under the impression that this is just like a microcosm of the Biden administration rather than the Federal Reserve as a whole. So is there ever like a moment where you're talking to normies or normies where you're just kind of like, wow, like I, I wish I could just, you know, take the red pill. <laughs> All the time. They'll say, well, uh, it it's really bad that healthcare uh, prices are high because when costs are high, then, you know, poor people can't afford them. Also, we should raise the minimum wage. Well, it the higher the minimum wage, the harder it is for a person with few skills and little experience to get their foot in the door, gain on the job experience, become mm -hmm. more valuable valuable for employers in the future. So just the concept that they're talking about uh, price or uh, or take the exam uh, the concept of war being the health of the state mm -hmm. when you're economizing. You can say, well, if people have to bear the cost, they're going to be much more likely to be frugal and efficient than they otherwise would be. Of course, there's exceptions to every rule. But when it comes to the concept of war, the fact that the state has access not just to a central bank but to taxation makes war far more likely than it otherwise would be. That's why foreign policy and economic policy are so heavily intertwined. So just by that fact that they don't appreciate the concept that government is swiping an involuntary credit card, that makes them much more likely to say, yeah – I think we'll defend Tehran from the Iranian government. We'll probably defend Kiev from nuclear Russia. And uh, I think I'm in the mood to defend Taiwan from China as well. <laughs> yeah. When you don't bear the cost, that doesn't make you a good person. Mm -hmm. And it makes you look like an absolute buffoon. But it's the equivalent of walking into a restaurant and saying, hey, everyone, drinks on that guy. <laughs> it, just, it, it just makes you a prick. Like if everyone had the ability to – uh, to to allocate resources in that way generally. Do you have a thesis as to whether people would spend more money or less money or the same? Of course, when people aren't going to bear the cost, they're going to spend a heck of a lot more. So that simple concept 
prices rise, consumption tends to go down, all else equal. It doesn't even seem like people appreciate something like that. Uh, when it comes to the concept of monopolies, they'll often say that, you know, Amazon's a monopoly, even though they only account for something like 12% of all retail sales in America. They'll also say things like, um, well, uh, John D. Rockefeller and Andrew Carnegie just gobbled up all this money, or they'll talk about how the money was hoarded. It doesn't occur to them that what these people, including Steve Jobs, Jeff Bezos, Sam Walton, what they actually did in order to get that money was provide something of greater value to many, many, many customers. Yeah, you can get rich if you make yachts, but the fact that Henry Ford didn't just sell limousines, he sold Model Ts so the average person can purchase them. Mm -hmm. And more people had access to this product and service than they otherwise would have. That's why the Wright brothers were able to provide a, a number of bicycles through their bicycle shop, but through making the airplane, it wasn't uh, more beneficial for them to make like some Kevin Hart soul plane equivalent where there's all this champagne and all these hookers mm -hmm. everywhere and everything. It made I do more like sense. That, though. It may it doesn't make economic <laughs> sense at the time no, unfortunately. for them to uh, make something that only a few people can afford. Mm -hmm. So the idea that, well, when you're in the private sector, you just benefit the rich. That is like saying if food is privatized, only Ruth's Chris will be the will be the only restaurant because people just want to cater to the rich in the free market. That is probably the biggest one I see, that if things are done voluntarily, only the riches wants will uh, be met. No evidence for this. In fact, all the evidence is to the contrary. Yeah, it's really, really interesting to think about because like if you look at the situation with insulin, it's funny how there's one manufacturer for it and the price of it is ridiculously high. And then we also monopolized healthcare as you were talking about a little bit earlier. And now look, you know, anytime you go to the hospital, it's like, holy shit, I can't believe all the shit I'm fucking paying for here. It's um absolutely bonkers so um one other area that i know that you've researched a little bit and i was surprised your knowledge on it was actually a foreign policy i heard you talking with uh reed a while back about uh the war in yemen so um what was what kind of piqued your interest in foreign policy because foreign policy for me actually was one of the last areas that i learned um in libertarianism actually i would say like four years ago or so but i'd consider myself a libertarian since probably 2015 ish um, and then it was just, you know, listen to like Dave Smith and Scott Horton and I'm like, oh, holy shit. I'm like really dumb on all this foreign policy stuff. So where was kind of like the, you know, light bulb moment for you when it came to looking into foreign policy? All right, everybody, we're going to take a little break from the show real quick to tell you about the show's sponsors. I am now working with the great Stephen Fox to bring you Fox and Sons coffee. As you can see, I got two bags right here, or for those listening, I was holding two bags. Um, it is organically roasted up in Michigan. If you're a caffeine addict, much like myself, um, then head over to foxandsonscoffee.com to get yourself some of their fantastic coffee. They got a light roast, which I'm holding in my hand. Um, they have the Electric Boogaloo Blend, which is fantastic as well. I just had it this morning. And if you're like me, you like dark roast coffee, which kicks you right in the freaking face first thing in the morning. Um, they have that for you as well. So head over to foxandsonscoffee.com. Use code Kyle, K-Y-L-E, to get yourself a little discount. Let them know that I sent you. And um, get yourself caffeinated, get jacked and tan, and do what you got to do. All right, guys, back to the podcast. Thanks. Probably when I first came across the idea from Ron Paul on the debate stage that – now, this is a very vague uh, explanation, but it, it did strike my interest. Because we are over there, 
they don't like us, just like we wouldn't like them over here. Mm -hmm. Now, that's very vague. For all I know, we're there helping and assisting them. This doesn't mean much. But after looking into it, it turns out that uh, the explicit goals of a lot of people who do not like America can be narrowed down to actual atrocities, many of which I was unfamiliar with. The three primary ones that Ayman al-Zawahiri and Osama bin Laden and Abu Musab al-Zarqawi, the, the, the three big al-Qaeda players, the ones that they used were not Americans, a bunch of infidels, and we need to spread Islam. You would think if that was really their motivation, that's what they would use to recruit other people. However, I was introduced to the fact that the war in Iraq actually started long before Saddam Hussein in 2003, was actually in 1991. And in order to establish regime change, they basically tried to tempt this regime into fighting back so they could have a justification for having an all-out war. So they could fly planes over, plane gets shot down, this arouses American opinion, and then uh, the, the regime change is able to uh, come to fruition. Mainly because Saddam Hussein was Israel's uh, biggest competitor in the region at this time, just like Iran is today. So I had never been introduced to the idea that there were actually sanctions imposed by the U.S. and the U.N. on Iraq starting in the early 90s after mm. the first Gulf War. So at that point, I'm thinking, well, if some other country blockaded America and said we couldn't get goods and <laughs> services and we couldn't exchange, or if someone blockaded Arizona and said we couldn't trade with Nevada, that would be such an amount of hubris, not to mention economic devastation, but that would piss me off. I also heard there weren't just sanctions enforced by uh, naval blockades and such, but there were actually bombings that took place under the Clinton administration in Iraq. Had never heard of this at all. And then they were doing it because uh, they were able to conspire with King Fahd in Saudi Arabia to have bases in Mecca and Medina. Look at how upset the Democrats were when Trump allegedly conspired with Putin to steal the 2016 election. That was all fake. Turns out the major stories claiming that 17 intelligence agencies confirmed uh, collusion between the two. It uh, was retracted by the New York Times June 29th of 2017. Years later, no one heard the retraction, but Hillary Clinton still said it on the debate stage. Mm -hmm. Four years later, they pushed the same scam. They said 50 Intel officials confirmed the Hunter Biden laptop is actually a Russian plant. Biden said this on the presidential debate stage. Turned out to be a uh, complete fabrication. Look at how upset uh, progressives in America were about alleged interference. What if Donald Trump gave Putin bases in America and had Russian troops stationed in Phoenix and Orlando. Could you imagine? So, yeah, you can actually sympathize with other people saying you, you can't just say, well, the Saudis wanted it. No, some people in the government wanted it, but not the people in general. Yeah, it, I could see maybe Trump or, you know, Biden gives President Xi a base in New York or something. The fact that the Chinese government like has some TikTok ties is calling for Marco Rubio and uh, Josh Howley to completely <laughs> ban it. And it's completely yeah. we're under attack because people can voluntarily download TikTok and watch the videos and choose to subscribe to channels. Well, what if they had actual bases here and they were controlling uh, foreign policy, both directly and indirectly? So uh, there were those uh, two bombing and sanctioning Iraq bases in Mecca and Medina. And then third, they were really the great might behind the Israeli military as far as uh, what was able to go and uh, and not go. So 
uh, I believe it was in 1982, the first Kana massacre. This is uh, one of those things that you just never hear about. So when I had heard that there were actually that, that it wasn't just a bunch of Palestinians being primitive and hating the uh, Jewish people, that there was actually aggression on both sides. And it was originally initiated by the Israeli regime. This just shocked me. Yeah, I'm surprised so you didn't that, say Hamas. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> so, shields. Um, so when it comes to why I was interested in foreign policy, because the lies were so blatant, George Bush came out and said um, that uh, we it's been confirmed Saddam bought yellow cake uranium from Niger. Joe Wilson came out, said that was all a lie. Dick Cheney went on Meet the Press, said that it's been pretty well confirmed that Mohammed Atta met in Prague with a member of the Iraqi intelligence. Another lie. Donald Rumsfeld says, yes, uh, they do have weapons of mass destruction. They're in Baghdad, Tikrit, uh, and north, east, south of, uh, of there. That was another lie. So the fact that the lies were so blatant and they were so costly, they came with the cost of not just dollars, but of human lives. That is why I originally got interested in uh, U.S. foreign policy. And if you're against aggression as far as, you know, it is wrong to tax someone's income and force them to pay for something they don't voluntarily buy or enslaving someone's even worse, that's more aggression. The ultimate enslavement and aggression would be murder. So because it's such an atrocity and the lies were so blatant, um, I thought it was uh, important to research. There's actually a book written in 1928 titled um, oh my gosh, I should keep this around. So I remember it's called <laughs> Falsehood in Wartime by an Arthur, a uh, guy named uh, Arthur Ponsonby, and he talks about all the lies in the First World War. Mm -hmm. Not even this is before you know Vietnam and Iraq and Afghanistan and Libya and Syria. So in 1928, he lists all these lies that keep happening, and he goes, "Look, there's a reason we should expect almost all of these to be lies." And the reason is because the cost of war is so high. You're not just asking people, hey, can you chip into this? It's, hey, would you mind getting your limbs blown off for this? Even in the case of conscription, if enough people resist, you just can't enforce it. If the military is resisting the military, it's going to be hard to enforce. So you have to control public opinion. So Arthur Ponsonby tells us in 1928, expect almost every war to be based on lies because in order to get people so riled up, you can't just say – I think we should risk tons of lives and billions of dollars because the regime in Kiev, if not led by Zelensky, would be led by someone more favorable to Vladimir Putin. Ain't no one sacrificing their life for that. But <laughs> Vladimir Putin yeah. has killed uh, – has put bounties on American soldiers in Afghanistan. He hacked mm -hmm. our elections. He had an unprovoked uh, invasion of Ukraine. They're killing children and civilians, and this is his attempt to reestablish the USSR. Okay, well, that is going to get more people than the reality of the situation is, well, you'd probably have someone like Viktor Yanukovych back on the throne. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, and to kind of tail on there, and uh, this has kind of been a subject of the show, and I've had our mutual pat on a bunch of times to talk about this, same with Dave DeCamp, um, or they're committing genocide against the Uyghurs. TikTok is invading the U.S. Um, you know, it's wokenizing our children. Um, China sent a bunch of ballots over here. They're, you know, infesting our universities and all the uh, major institutions bow down to China, Beijing, Biden. Um, it's really interesting how the two tra or the two major power players on the world stage 
are now getting their you know fingers pointed at them from the U.S. And you have the Democrats, as you were kind of laying out there a little bit earlier, that absolutely hate Putin and absolutely want you know Zelensky has to be in charge of Kiev no matter what. We'll sacrifice anything for it. And now you're starting to get this fervor along the right where they're saying that the CCP's the enemy and they're here violating our children's minds. They're sending ballots. They're a hostile actor. They're some of the claims are even, um, you know, they're sending fentanyl over here to kill Americans to the tune of 300 Americans a day, which is a completely unfounded claim. Um, that has been fascinating to me. And it, it's interesting that healthily skeptical people of all of the Middle Eastern lies will gladly buy all the stuff about China. And then some of the people on the left may be a little bit skeptical of the China stuff, not perhaps as skeptical as the right is of Russia, but then they'll buy whole heart about a lot of the Russia stuff. So this has just been a perfect example of kind of what you were laying out there about how the lies are so intense, but it really gets people riled up. And I really think that's where the rest of this, you know, probably next two, three decades is going to be going is these enormous power struggles. Oh, the, well, certainly just because uh, the, instead of engaging in any principle, what they do is they get you attached to certain personalities. They always have, you know, Zelensky talking and you can actually hear him. But when CNN or uh, even Fox and MSNBC will have Vladimir Putin, it's always just video of him talking with them talking about what Putin is doing. Of course, if you ever heard him talk, he's much more intelligent than probably any uh, American politician since Bill Clinton. Not to say he's good or either of them are good, a but uh, that, that that's just that's just the uh, level of uh, intelligence that uh, the, the masses like voting for. So they'll just attach words like democracy, which people have never really thought too much about. It doesn't matter that uh, Spain was part of NATO uh, under uh, Francisco Franco, the absolute dictator of Spain. Antonio Salazar was the head of Portugal and Portugal was a member of NATO. Greece was ruled by a military dictator dictatorship from, I think, 67 to 71. But NATO was still in defense of democracy. So it's really important that people get a one in 50 million vote once every four years. But it's not that big of a deal that Vladimir uh, Vladimir Zelensky doesn't let people opt out of joining the Ukrainian military. They have to be enslaved to get their limbs blown off. February 24th of last year, he instituted a no-leave policy, which conscripted men, I think it was ages 18 to 60. So the uh, heroes of democracy against I think the word autocracy is what they're currently using. They're not using like monarchy or tyranny or totalitarianism, but uh, autocrat Putin is what they're calling him. Even though allegedly Putin was elected too, I think all elections are fake. I don't, I don't know the exact details, but the fact that they're so confidently saying that this is a war for democracy, and Zelensky is outlawing competing political parties. He monopolized the press. He bombed Poland, killed two civilians, lied, and said it was Putin. So, I, I mean, just the fact that people are so married to personalities and rhetoric shows us that any political change will uh, take uh, will take quite a bit of effort. So one thing you can do is say, well, we're going to educate people on agriculture subsidies, minimum wage, schooling, health care, World War One, World War II, the Franco-Prussian War. And, and then you just get so devastated and say, well, that's never going to happen. Or you can simply take something people already believe in, which is it's wrong to initiate violence against peaceful people, 
take the same principle that many of us learned in kindergarten or were told about in kindergarten and extend it to the state and have no double standards. But any state is solution, any uh, minarchist, socialist, democratic socialist, I mean, God, think of the democratic socialists. They say that people aren't informed enough to decide who, who the president is because they're so stupid they vote for Trump and DeSantis. But they should be voting on every aspect of economic life. Imagine how costly it would be for you to learn all about food before going to a restaurant. Then you'd have to find out, well, who did I learn this from? I have to learn a lot about the reputations of the people giving me this information. You wouldn't be able to do anything. You spend your entire time researching. But because of the market's competitive mechanism and the freedom to voluntarily disassociate with bad actors and engage in reputational distribution – well, those are things that are a much greater check and balance than just having the Supreme Court separate from the Congress, even though Supreme Court justices answer to Congress before they're appointed. They get put in front of there and asked all these you know, ridiculous, trivial questions. So uh, that is why I'm more optimistic. It's not that, well, we got to educate people on all these things. We just really have to get rid of one thing, which is this uh, double standard that people have uh, with regard to uh, morality. Holy crap. Yeah, actually, that's a hell of a way to look at it. And I can't say I've I've thought about that in quite a while because my nose has kind of been in other stuff. But um, yeah, that's definitely a lot easier than trying to, like you said, try to educate the masses. Um, so one thing that's kind of came up recently over the last couple of years has been this uh, post-libertarian moment where um, – they understand the libertarian principles, and a lot of them are former libertarians. And now they're kind of under the impression that you have to start using the state to completely smash your cultural rivals. And in this situation, it's the cultural left. Um, I, I don't think I've heard you cover this. You may have covered it on your podcast, but um, I'm kind of interested on your thoughts on that and where you might see that they may that there may be some merit to their arguments and where you think it largely fails. Well, um. I don't want to address any uh, specific argument just because I haven't looked too mm -hmm. much into it to the point where I can confidently say it. Sure. I remember doing uh, – I had Ace Arcus on my show. We did a three-and-a-half-hour response to Curtis Yarvin's critique of libertarianism. Mm. Other than that, I haven't looked much into it. But I have a great deal of respect for a lot of the orthodox uh, community, a uh, large portion of which is uh, post-libertarian. So one of uh, th their great contributions is to say, you know, I'm a little bit tired of us telling uh, progressives that no matter what you do with this thing called government, we're never going to get active and we're never going to use it against you. We'll just try and do something or other. Now, this is very different from what Michael Knowles is. Uh, critique of uh, Republicans is where he says Republicans have taken the libertarian stance. If th if that were the case, we'd see drastic decreases in government spending <laughs> under Republicans. We'd see a large scale abolition of tons of agencies, and it, it, but of course we never see that. So that Michael Knowles approach is completely fake. But this one that uh, for people like uh, Pete Quinones have uh, put forth is important because what they are doing is they are raising the cost of being a statist. So when uh, the left goes around and says, um, oh, yeah, well, uh, we're going to uh, use the education system, the media, professors, and Hollywood to uh, get everyone on board with wearing a mask everywhere they go, and we're going to pressure businesses to have affirmative action hiring pr practices, uh, another word for racism. And uh, and all these mask and backs requirements. The fact that we have someone like Ron DeSantis saying, you know what, 
let me use uh, not we need to start nuking them and get super violent, but a total uh, reasonable response would be, say, what is the minimal amount of necessary force we can use to push back on these people? And something like uh, outlawing businesses uh, being able to uh, have mask mandates. That is something I support just because it's like, you know what? Mm. I've about had it with uh, with something like this. And it is certainly not anything that I like uh, all else equal, you know, telling other people what to do with uh, property they've justly acquired. But it's like, you know what? I am going to make it a little more inconvenient for you to wield this power called statism. Now, in all the specific examples, it just has to be on a is it worth it basis when it comes to the principle of minimal necessary force. I know nothing about the Disney issue, who he appointed, for what justification, so I'm not even going to pretend to comment on that. When it comes to vax and mask mandates, this was so vitally important because it actually showed them, you know this thing, this bat you're always beating us with? I'm going to take a swing back at you guys. And I'm very sorry. I wish it wasn't this way. I wish you hadn't put me in this situation. I just sound like an abusive spouse, but you did put me in this situation. The dinner was cold! Every time, every now and then, you have to use a minimal amount of necessary force in order to not get uh, completely, you know, screwed. Uh, just as I, we don't love the concept of, you know, uh, or not we don't love. It's completely unjustified for two people who want to engage in exchange have to get permission from a third party. This is called occupational licensing or business licensing. The business I work with said, look, we're going to get the license or else they're going to come after us. That is, in a way, giving into the state. That is uh, one way of sort of playing the game in order to win in the long run. Unfortunately, we have to do that. Now, it's not like our enemies who are like, well, the state should monopolize health care. Oh, so you're engaged in a contradiction because you used private health care. Do you have a privately uh, designed computer? Well, that's another contradiction. Unfortunately, in order uh, to... Uh, really operate in the world, you have to engage with things that in this complex web of reality, some of them have uh, strains of statism. But so long as we're approaching it with the concept of minimal necessary force to combat the biggest status who are just so powerful. I mean, if you look at how they have gotten people to say things like men can be women and, uh, you know, racism is off the charts, even though Uh, 80% of violence between blacks and whites is when uh, the black person is the aggressor. Uh, The fact that they can say things like that, and even uh, black professors like Wilfred Riley have brought that to the forefront. That is in no way me uh, uh, calling out uh, blacks as a race or anything. Most violence between men and women, men are most of the murderers, men are most of the rapists. I'm not being negative against men. I'm just saying that is the reality of the situation. So the fact that they're able to control this narrative so heavily, every now and then I do think it's okay if we uh, put a hurdle in their way to tyranny by embracing people like uh, DeSantis or aspects of uh, what DeSantis has done. Yeah, I completely agree with you i did see a lot of libertarians kind of freaking out about him banning uh mandates and stuff like that but um in my mind i don't see governance in this situation as necessarily an inherently good or bad thing i see this as kind of like a tool right so unfortunately we do live in the world where we have this overwhelming government but there can be situations like you just mentioned where this is used for good now you and i would agree that an absolute majority of the time it's used for bad but the 
every here and there, you kind of see a little bit of light shining through where, okay, well, look, now all of a sudden, you know, there's there's something good happening here. And it's kind of like the Iran deal where a lot of people kind of knocked on Obama for that, but that was helping to kind of denuclearize um, across the Middle East. But, you know, of course, there's a certain country over there that um, won't tell you anything about their nuclear program. But this was helping kind of ease tensions and then also kind of guarantee that they weren't going to build a nuke. But yeah, so um, one thing I also wanted to ask you about when it came to the post libertarian stuff you brought up michael knowles um where did this myth come from that the republicans were kind of like swayed by libertarians because i've heard people like orrin mcintyre say this and i'm like are you talking about like maybe milton friedman like i i have no idea where that started and to me i i don't see the connection at all i think it started on the elementary school playground when a kid was really bad at basketball and he said you know what I actually wasn't even trying. It's not that I'm bad. It's that I wasn't trying. So now Republicans, when they say, hey, how come you guys win and you still complain and you're never happy and Trump spent trillions in his last year and printed more than ever before and you guys still aren't happy? And they go, well, we actually, we weren't even trying. We've What we've done is like we've embraced libertarianism, mm -hmm. which is defined as staying out of things and doing nothing and eating Doritos. So you can't really blame us for anything, but we need to start changing. They don't mention Medicare Part D which was implemented by uh, George Bush, getting us off the gold standard with Nixon, escalating things in Vietnam, Laos, and Cambodia under Nixon, wage controls under Nixon, increase in overall spending under guys like Reagan, increasing taxes under George H.W. Bush, mm -hmm. invading and bombing and killing tons of people under Bush Sr. and implementing Iraqi sanctions. This, to them, is staying out of things. Just like if anyone assumes they own you, Every second they aren't actively enslaving you, they're actually giving you a gift. So because all statists have bought into the idea that it's all right for the state to own other people, every time they don't do something, they're kind of like spoiling us. And it's really cool of them to do. So, of course, uh, I don't know uh, how the uh, myth started. Maybe just because people like uh, Milton Friedman are around to uh, to, to point out that, um, that that you can do that. Also, a lot of Goldwater speeches are uh, are mentioned in there. But um, yeah, just the fact that I think it was Charlie Kirk who had said something like, there's a gun on the table. Either they have it or we have it. That's the reality of the situation, to which I got to credit. Michael Malice said, oh, you're forgetting the third option. And Charlie Kirk's face goes blank and he goes, well, we could both have guns. And the both have guns simply means that there's actually a check and balance in society. It doesn't mean that there's just a state that can't impose anything. Eventually, once these laws become so unpopular, all these regulations, all these taxes and things like Bitcoin become more profitable for people to use, both monetary profit and psychic profit, everything's just going to turn into a bunch of jaywalking laws. Yes, they exist on paper, and if the cops really want to go through the paperwork, they'll enforce it, but you won't have uh, public opinion behind it. Um, but, you know, you might be onto something with the fact that Milton Friedman is, you know, having like a YouTube comeback. He's probably more popular with the average person now than, uh, you know, since he was doing that in like, what, the 70s or 80s? Oh, yeah. Um, but even guys like Thomas Sowell have a very big reach with all the Thomas Sowell, uh, Twitter, uh, accounts that are just dedicated to quotes of his. So because it's something that they could point at and say, look, that's the real problem. We didn't have enough power. We didn't use the power that we should have had. 
it's a great rationalization, just like the problem in Iraq and Afghanistan is we didn't go in hard enough. We would have won in Vietnam if we had just put more troops on the ground and we had really gotten serious. Curtis LeMay said the reason we didn't win the Korean War is because we didn't do what I would have done, which is drop between 20 and 50 nuclear bombs on Korea. That is the actual mindset of people that there's two there's only two realities, things that work and things that need more money and more government funding. It's never a question of, well, maybe the people involved in this don't have the incentive to produce ideal outcomes. Maybe the people uh, involved in this don't have the knowledge necessary, even if they were the kindest people ever. It seldom even crosses their mind that evil people are actually there. But ever since Klaus Schwab came out with that bizarre outfit, people are like much more likely to say, well, maybe these guys are uh, are a little evil. Or Alex Jones snuck into the Bohemian Grove with a camera and caught uh, the cremation of care. And a after people see that, they're like, well, maybe there are some evil people who are actually attracted to an institution that allows them to do things involuntarily to tons of strangers that they would never try and get away with in the voluntary sector. What's up, everybody? Um, we're going to take a quick break and tell you about the show's sponsors. Um, we are brought to you by LMNT Electrolytes. I've been using this stuff for years, and what I've honestly found is that if I didn't have electrolytes before some kind of cardio, and sometimes even before workouts, that my workout performance or definitely cardio performance would suffer greatly. Um, Sodium is responsible for every single movement pretty much in your entire body. And let's say you drink a lot of caffeine, <laughs> like I like to do, then um, maybe it is a good idea, like I do every single morning, um, put some LMNT chocolate electrolytes. Um, there in your coffee to get a little bit more sodium, potassium, and uh, magnesium in your coffee so that way whatever diuretic effect you get from the caffeine is pretty much diluted by the fact that you put chocolate salt in it. Um, also, it tastes really, really good. Get some uh, chocolate creamer, hazelnut creamer, or even coconut, and uh, mix that all up. It tastes really, really good. So, uh, yeah, make sure you drop by, go to drinklmnt.com slash health and uh, pick you up some electrolytes today. All right, guys, thanks. So, yeah, yeah no clue where the myth started, but hope hopefully it dies soon. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, it seems like kind of as libertarianism, I don't want to say necessarily breaks mainstream, but as it gets more and more popular traction, um, you do see more prominent figures start to point the finger at us like we're the issue. But it's funny because it's you're throwing your vote away if you vote libertarian, and I'm not even so sure I will anymore. Um, but you know they point to the two or three percent of libertarians that vote libertarian or don't vote at all and say you're costing us the election but it's never a question of well was our candidate not good enough um they expect people to live in this binary of well you have to pick this one or this one and yes we kind of do live in a two-party system but at the same time you can't expect every single american because about half of americans don't vote so what about all them you can't expect everybody to just conform to either you know your particular ideology one way or the other and i think that's what a lot of people are kind of looking for yeah getting uh, f full subscription is definitely difficult and that's why one of the great uh, benefits that we have is because our philosophy is so widely practiced by people without them explicitly understanding it the concept of voluntarily exchanging things and things like what makes slavery rape kidnapping and theft immoral is the violation of the self-ownership or non-aggression principle once we uh, get them to extend something they already believe as opposed to enforcing or 
trying to impose like Jehovah's Witness style, go door to door. Hey, ditch everything you've ever learned. Embrace, uh, you know, Robert Nozick and Murray Rothbard. That would be quite the uh, high cost. But as far as helping people uh, get along, you can simply have uh, the approach that would you be okay if any organization did this? I mean, certainly you would concede that. The Catholic Church or even Amazon has done more to help the poor than probably any other government program. Could they issue taxes? Could uh, people with high IQs regulate people with low IQs, you know, for the greater good? Well, then why does D.C. have the right to regulate Mississippi? And why does the governor of Mississippi have the right to regulate voluntary exchanges between citizens within that geographical area? How different is it, Mr. Progressive, that Winston Churchill or Neville Chamberlain uh, calling the shots for someone in Africa. That's evil. That's colonialism. That's imperialism. But Joe Biden calling the shots for 330 million Americans. How is that anything different than colonialism? Just today, someone commented on uh, the LP uh, New Hampshire's uh, file that, oh, yeah, you guys should try and secede. I, uh, I'd like to see that. That'd be so funny. As they're actively saying, it's vitally important that Ukraine is independent from Russia, or not just Ukraine, Donetsk and Luhansk, th those can't even uh, be part of uh, Putin's regime. It's so important that uh, people in Tehran are able to secede from the Iranian regime. Taiwan has to be able to secede from Chinese control or else we might just have to exchange nukes and kill hundreds of thousands of people. So it's that they already believe these things, but they are under what could be called a hypnotic trance. Sim and, I, and I use that um, language just because you can see the NPC response and how quickly they will respond to things that they have never even thought of. So someone who says, thou shall not murder and thou shall not steal, does not even come close to having those principles for government or with the colonialism example that I had uh, previously used. Or they'll say, well, if bad things with guns happen in the private sector, guns should be banned in the private sector. When governments do bad things with guns, I you ne you just hear crickets about. Well, we might have to regulate uh, the amount of uh, weaponry that uh, that that the state could have, which gave us the great meme of I was I went to turn my guns into the government the other day, and then I did a background check on them. Oh my God, you're not going to believe what I found. Um, so so just the uh, practice of leading by example and not having double standards, I think, is going to do much more. Uh, but many more wonders rather than uh, th things like recommending books. Th th that is just so difficult and so costly. But the second people get that, the second you plant that seed of uncomfortability with people, then that does the most effective job at working past all the repetition that they've had. Putin bad, Zelensky good, NATO's for democracy. That, uh, I think, is the most uh, f uh, effective approach you can have when trying to uh, get people out of this vicious cycle, which doesn't even make them happy. Fox News today was in Iowa talking to voters. They can't wait for the next election. That's the whole purpose of an election is so you can wait for the next election. They're never appreciative and say, oh, thank God we got the Supreme Court and all this other stuff. It, just as Bastiat said in 1850, the state is simply the mechanism by uh, which allows people to benefit at the expense of everyone else, and everyone else does the same exact thing. So as much as you can sometimes reap a benefit, you're increasing the amount of power that people have who have the legal, uh, the recognized legal right to coercively impose themselves on you.
Mm-hmm. So that's why uh, I've taken the voluntarist handbook approach of uh, trying to be, you know, uh, g- getting the most bang for your buck when you're, you know, teaching people about uh, the ideas of libertarianism. Nice. Well, um, I got a couple more questions for you and then we'll bounce out of here. So I want to tell you my thoughts on how to kind of expand our movement. And then I'm kind of curious your thoughts on my thoughts and your continued thoughts. So um, in my mind, I feel like we have to, as you kind of laid out there, kind of be leaders, right? We kind of have to live these values that we expose and that we want other people to understand and share with us. So in my mind, um, you know, I'm a mechanic, I'm a musician, um, I'm an athlete, I'm a podcast host, I'm a husband. Um, I feel like I'm a, I'm a valued member of my community and I have a great strong network around me that sees that I have these values, but they don't just see me as a libertarian. They see me as this other person. So I believe that we have to build a relationship capital with people because they trust in who we are in order for us to kind of bring these values forward. So as we become you know, leaders of our community, then people understand because we have a relationship capital with them that our ideas are worthy of you know kind of endorsing and embracing in their own lives. So that's kind of how I see us moving libertarianism forward is by being leaders. Um, Kind of curious on your thoughts of us leading by example and then how you might um, think to best spread our values as well. Uh, That is probably much more effective than uh, what I had said earlier. But what I am simply referring to is what I, as a member of the Libertarian Institute, focus on, and that's uh, our role in the division of labor. What the average person should do is not what the person who's sort of dedicated Mm -hmm. thousands of hours to something like this. So when it comes to the concept of social proof, which psychologists like uh, Robert Cialdini have said is one of the biggest things – The fact that people will recognize something as legitimate or illegitimate based on the number of people they see who identify with whatever it is and how they value each of those people is much more important than any of the ideas themselves. People could read Man, Economy, and State, but what looks a lot better is a successful person who's happy, optimistic, and appears smart and successful, them wearing a shirt that says non-aggression principle or libertarianism, (laughs) or just has a picture of some beautiful Orthodox cathedral or uh, Catholic cathedral and says, yeah, uh, this is, I believe in God and thou shall not murder and thou shall not steal. So that's why I'm a libertarian. That will do far more than talking to people about economics, which usually just gets people's shields up and uh, ready to uh, say, oh, gosh, I've really got to come back on Facebook with uh, something impressive so my ego isn't threatened and my uh, social status doesn't decrease or anything. So uh, as far as leading by example, not just within libertarianism, but things completely unrelated. Why do people like Zelensky? Because they've read all of the legislation he's passed and said, God damn, that was internally consistent. Of course not, because he's the cool comedian who's leading the charge against the great evils of the world. If we can learn from Zelensky and learn how people fell in love with a con man stranger so quickly, we can get a much better idea of how to increase the uh, general public opinion that libertarianism is legitimate and uh, something worth embracing. So I completely agree. Nice. Yeah, I really like the way you kind of uh, sum that up as well. So um, I got a couple more questions for you, and then we'll uh, tie it up. Um, What does liberty look like to you? Uh, The institutionalized recognition of self-ownership. So liberty to me is simply uh, the, the ability to interact and cooperate with people in any way 
that uh, meets the uh, principle of mutually beneficial voluntary exchange. That is the absolute uh, foundational uh, basis. Now, uh, some people could say that, well, it's not uh, no government, it's actually self-government or uh, the, the ability to control your desires is to truly govern yourself. And there's nothing inconsistent with that and uh, what I just said. So uh, liberty to me simply is uh, people achieving their ends voluntarily through a uh, cooperative process rather than a uh, violent process. Well, that was very, very concise. And that's uh, definitely a different answer that I've gotten from all the other people I asked that. But I really, really like that answer. What does health look like to you? Uh, health, uh, probably mental and physical, is uh, to be uh, much more in line with uh, what allows you to uh, feel fulfilled both short-term and long-term. So uh, things that can feel uh, great, whether it's physically or intellectually, can also hurt you in the long run. So maybe health, I uh, would say, is the ability to have uh, reasonable impulse control with regard to your uh, scarce time on Earth. So well, it does feel great to eat, uh, you know, a big cheeseburger. Uh, every now and then I try to uh, put the uh, kale salad in place of it just because it's uh, me having a uh, m much lower time preference. So um, as far as an exact definition, those are just thoughts that come to mind. I probably haven't uh, put as much uh, thought into that one as I uh, as I should have. But um, the, uh, the the last woman I dated certainly put a lot of thought into it and told me to get in much better shape. And that was really that that's what it took for me to finally think of it. All the health classes did absolutely nothing until someone important uh, in my life said, all right, the chewing tobacco, the drinking and the driving and the relentless eating. That's about enough of that. So um, that is what health means. And that's what uh, actually finally convinced me to drastically increase uh, the amount of health that I uh, have in my life was just someone I cared about uh, being a uh, positive motivator. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Well, I was going to tell you off air, but I'll tell you this on air. Um, I, I, I didn't want to sound rude when I said it, but it does look like you lost a little bit of weight from uh, some of the older podcasts I was watching. You do look a lot healthier. So that's uh, really, really good to hear, Keith. Um, so uh, any final thoughts, plugs? Where can everybody find you? Everyone can find me at libertarianinstitute.org. You can also get a free PDF of the Voluntarist Handbook, 50 essays, excerpts, articles that uh, brought me to libertarianism at uh, libertarianinstitute.org as well. You could purchase the book on barnesandnoble.com or amazon.com. And you could find my show on Odyssey uh, as well as YouTube and all of the podcatchers. Nice. All right, Keith. Well, this was a lot of fun and, um, you know, we'll definitely have to do it again sometime, man. So yeah, if you don't got anything else, we'll close her out. Appreciate it, brother. Take care. Of course you too. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants. They all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.